WBZ original. By the way, I saw these all over DC this weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I saw a, a, a millennial. Uh, how did you how on did you know? one of them <laughs> zipping along in the scooter, no helmet, and behind him on the scooter was a Whole Foods shopping bag. <laughs> <laughs> I wish did I had the phone. Did he have a beard? And was he had the scruffy and beard buying vinyl albums. He had the the uh, you know the one of those little stupid things. The AirPods. The wireless yeah. the wireless the AirPods. Pod. Oh, yeah. oh, well, those aren't stupid. Those, those are those are great. They look right, space. Correction. They look stupid. They look stupid. They look okay. Like Welcome in everybody to Studio BZ. Still. Alston's number one podcast. As far as we know. To say. Yeah. Uh, at least no one has told us any different. <laughs> uh, it's episode 14 of season three, and we're glad you're here with us. I'm Paula Evans. I'm Leah Martin. And John Keller, at your service. Here we are. What we have coming up this week, another great podcast for you. Uh, we spoke with former Patriots player Malcolm Mitchell, who had just retired from the NFL. Of course, Malcolm, only 25 years old, but one of the reasons that that everybody loves him so much is because of his history of talking about his journey uh, in education and literacy, the way he improved his own reading as a University of Georgia student, joined a ladies' book club. Everyone remembers that Steve Hartman uh, yeah, story. Yeah, great Steve Hartman story from CBS News. And uh, as the years went on, he does all kinds of literacy programs with young children, and uh, he's just a great guy. And then, breaking news befitting Alston's number one podcast, Alston's city councilor, Mark Siomo, retiring after 12 years on the council. This will be his final year. Uh, we had him in studio breaking that news mm -hmm. and uh, talking about his biggest success and his biggest regret during a dozen years as city councilor. A half dozen under Menino, a half dozen under Mayor Walsh. Interesting stuff from uh, from the city councilor from Austin. Very interesting. He knows Austin inside and out, so he would know that we are the number one mm. podcast. He's his finger he on the dispute pulse. It. Okay, he nope. did dispute it. So nope. in, that, in, in effect, he crowned us then. It's true. If he did not dispute, <laughs> if he then didn't we are. In. Well, I wouldn't tell him where the men's room was until after the interview. He was under duress. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, we have Ubuntu Arts. This is just a, a great program out of BU's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. Mentors and students who are studying to become educators work with young kids in the Boston school system and work on collaborative art projects, helping teach those kids about social awareness. So we had the director of Ubuntu Arts, two of the students at Wheelock College, and an eighth grader at Boston Collegiate Charter School with her project talking about youth violence. These are some young people who are doing great work and having their voices heard. We're going to talk with them. And then we're going to talk about an interesting... De debut yesterday of electric scooters on the streets of Brookline. Mm. Yeah, so, every bit as great an idea as Liam's pet fantasy about driverless cars. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Okay, I shall defend myself. Well, 
Patriots Super Bowl champion Malcolm Mitchell has become a beloved figure on and off the field here in New England. And he officially announced his retirement from the NFL last weekend, but says New England is going to be his home now and will play a huge role in the new chapter in his life. And Malcolm Mitchell joins us tonight. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you all for having me. So good me. to see you. I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's okay. First yeah. of all, congratulations. Thank you, you. It's been a big week, and this is your first interview since you announced your retirement. And, and what are your thoughts? You know, what's your message to Patriots fans after um, your career here? I loved every every moment I spent in New England playing football. I love the organization, love the fans, love the community. Um, I really consider New England a place that I always visit and, mm -hmm. you know, be home in my heart. So that's not going to change. We love hearing that. No one's going to forget your performance. Super yeah. Bowl 51, right. five catches in the fourth quarter leading to the big comeback. I know I'll never forget yeah. it. Never. And I'm sure a lot of people, you're retiring. And, and of course, this week we learned that Rob Gronkowski, your former yeah. teammate, is retiring as well. Were you surprised that he was retiring? Or did you think this makes sense for him at this point? He's won his Super Bowls and his body is starting to feel that wear and tear. You never really know. Um, some people can sustain the injuries and continue on. You know, Gronk, three Super Bowls, nine years, 79 touchdown, Hall of Famer. You know, it's really, I'm assuming for him, an emotional decision on what's best for his health. I don't know in particular, but I feel like he'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious, do you have a fun memory or a great Gronk story that you'll always think about? I'll never forget the practice where he was just having the best of time. And... He always knew how to liven up every moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a special guy, and I'm sure whatever he decides to do next in life, he'll take that same energy. Yeah. He loves life. Yeah, loves that's for joy. sure. Well, you won the hearts of so many people by talking so openly about how important literacy is to you and right. your own learning journey. And uh, we have a picture about <laughs> uh, of this wonderful image that people saw when you were at school in Georgia, right. and you belonged to a book club of women who really embraced you. This was a Steve. Hartman piece on CBS yes. News about that. And when you look back on this time in your life, why did you join that book club? Well, I was really striving to be uh, a better reader and more than that, just a better overall individual. Wanted mm -hmm. to gain more knowledge, wanted to expand my curiosity. And those women granted me those opportunities, regardless of uh, how old I was, the color of my skin. Nothing really mattered besides that common interest in, in reading. It was. So many people were taken by that image because yeah. it was you, this football player <laughs> with these women in Georgia in right. a book club. You said that when you got to college, you felt that your reading was not where you wanted it to be. Correct. And that that was part of improving Correct. Your, your literacy. Right. And that's one of the things that I'll drive home, you know, as my life continues is the only thing that really matters is we all try to be the best we can possibly be. Mm. All the other social barriers that restrict us or make us feel confined into not stepping outside the boundaries, mm. I'm going to fight against that in everything that I do. Are you still in touch with those women? I am, of course. You guys reading books and trading notes every once in a while? Yeah, we talk a bit. They help me out. Some have become instrumental in some of the things I want to do off the field. One has become a part of my foundation, so it's become a family. I love that. Yeah. And, and, of course, this has led to your own passion for spreading that message to kids in school about the importance of reading. So tell us you have an event tomorrow at Correct. the Copley Plaza. Tell Correct. us about this. Uh, the Magical Evening of Literacy is an event that we host. Um, typically is in Atlanta. I spent a lot of time in Georgia. That's where I grew up. But this community means so much to me. And mm -hmm. with my time in New England, I wanted to come 
and continue to share that message that you know reading can really help and encourage kids to grow up and accomplish whatever they want. Yeah, I've been to a school with you. Yeah. And when yeah, you are introduced, they just go crazy. <laughs> they it's do. Such a fun atmosphere. They do. So you go to schools and you have these reading rallies. Today you were at the Perkins School in Boston. I think Correct. we have some video of that. Uh, reading with the kids, talking with them. Explain your whole philosophy behind the reading rally right. and why these encounters mean so much to you. Well, the reading rallies were designed to basically encourage reading and promote book ownership at a level that's just out of control. We call it a pep rally for reading. Mm. I really wanted to intertwine excitement, pop culture, energy, fun, just all, all of that into reading. Yeah. And we do that when we go to schools. Yeah. What do kids say to you? Have you had a story of a kid who's come up to you and said, you know, I don't know how to read as well as I would like to, and this has really helped me move forward with that? Do you have yeah. inspirational stories? I'm sure you must come across kids who just are inspired by yeah, you. Yeah, they're a tremendous amount. They send in letters talking about how now they're encouraged to read or they were struggling to read and now they found the motivation. Or just simple stuff as giving the books, because one of the requirements for uh, me to come is that every child in the school receives a book mm. to introduce book ownership. So some kids, that's their first book that they were ever given. Mm. You know, So when a kid comes up to you and talks about that, becomes extremely impactful. Yeah, and it's amazing, you became an author. Well, yeah. you're at University of Georgia, you wrote the book, The Magician's Hat, and I didn't realize you have a three book deal with Scholastic Books. Correct. So you have another one coming out? Yes, I have another one I need to write. Yeah, you also probably, you're working on I probably should be working on that now. So there'll be three in all. Correct. Um, and you know, what does it mean to you to become an author? Know that children are holding your book that you wrote. It's fun, you know, because it's also a bit of creativity that I get to express and the messages that I want to send to the kids and, and even beyond. So it's not something I've ever foreseen taking place, but, you know, I enjoy writing, so I'll continue to do that. And we see in that video some of the kids reading Magician's Hat, which you wrote. Right. Uh, you, you're also, you have the second book coming out called Book Boy, right? Is that, right. Co is that come out yet? And what is that about? Right. Well, that's about a reluctant, a reluctant reader, and that'll come out. Mm -hmm end of this year or beginning of next year, it's really based on the publisher. So Is that based on yeah. your life, your experience? I always intertwine a little personal message in there. Yeah. It's funny because even in the magician's hat, some of the kids try to pinpoint those messages that are personal, and I never reveal it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. You know, you're showing these children what a multi-dimensional person you are. Right. You said intertwining pop culture with reading. You also have a passion for photography and Correct. fashion. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at a fashion Looking pretty line. good right now. Yeah, that's oh, right. I appreciate that. <laughs> what are some of your other plans? What would you like to do? I want to inspire. I want to inspire uh, through creativity. Uh, mm -hmm. What reading really opened up for me is this uh, idea that anything is possible. But it's only possible when you don't allow you know, outside noise and social biases or anything like that to distract you from really trying to be the best you can be. Mm -hmm. So when I go to write or when I design or I shoot photography, I just really take an organic eye at everything and then try to deliver it in a way that inspires somebody else just to be free. Mm -hmm. so. last, last question quickly, what are you reading right now? Right now I am reading, actually I picked up a book <laughs> about an electric guitar. 
an electric cool. guitar. And Bruce Springsteen, so I'm just, oh. I'm really getting into music for some reason. Well, the boss, the boss, that's a good place to <laughs> yeah. I don't get know. into music. I don't know, I have no idea where it's going to take me, but we'll see. That's great. <laughs> Malcolm Mitchell, so great to see you again, and good thanks for coming in tonight to talk to you. Thank you. You were such an inspiration. It's awesome to meet you, and, and thank you for coming out. We appreciate it. The city is for some glamorous, stimulating, Well, as you know, uh, we humbly bill ourselves here as Alston's leading podcast here on Studio <laughs> BZ. So far, we haven't been called out on that. Until we are, we're going to continue to do it. But it certainly behooves us, and we are always interested in doing so, as Alston's leading podcast, in keeping a close eye on what is going on in our beloved neighborhood uh, here in Alston, Massachusetts, and here to help fill us in on what is going on and what lies ahead for Alston is the city councilor who represents Alston, Councilor Mark Siomo. Councilor, welcome to Studio BZ. Thank you for having me, John. It's great to have you here. And you, you, it, it turns out our timing is good because yeah. you've been making news this week with the announcement that after six terms, right, yes. in yes. the Boston City Council, uh, you are going to be uh, stepping down and moving on to other things. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, what torrid, what horrendous offense <laughs> did Mayor Walsh commit or <laughs> did the media do that drove you out of the business? No, uh, nothing like that at all. Yeah. I, I've enjoyed this the six terms, the almost 12 years I've been on the council. I think yeah. the city has, during my first term, we were in the worst recession since the Great Depression. So I've kind of seen the city almost come full circle from a very challenging time where, you know, uh, we were closing and merging schools. We were um, threatening libraries with, with closure. Right. We had hundreds of layoffs. And then, you know, we slowly emerged to probably the greatest growth in the city since the turn of the century. Uh, housing being built, commercial. Uh, we have Boston Landing, the commuter rail stop. There's just a lot going on. And I feel like at this point... Um, you know, uh, I'm ready to t kind of turn the page and move on to other things and find another way to contribute. Over the past 12 years, what's the single most significant change you've observed in your community? Right. Well, the growth, right? And and the growth that's happened. And uh, I was just at a groundbreaking yesterday uh, for the um, track theater. Yeah, uh, over Boston, by New Balance exactly. there. Exactly. And, and obviously, you're from the neighborhood. You go down there. Ten years ago, it was uh, empty warehouses and uh, vacant properties in a bus depot that was spewing diesel fuel 24-7. And now you drive down there and it's, you know, there's the Bruins, the Celtics, uh, uh, nice bowling alley and uh, new residents and now the track breaking ground. And, you know, driving down there, it's it's kind of just uh, an example, a good example of the transformation of this neighborhood in one small place. And then I would say the commuter rail was a, a great achievement for me and and my colleagues and all the people that played a role, many, the, the community, everybody rallied around. But without Jim Davis's um, uh, partnership in that, and quite frankly, he built it out of his own pocket. Yeah, like that's Andy, the CEO of New Balance yes, and exactly. been there around many years. Yeah, and just he's just been such a great friend to the community and a great neighbor. So with growth, inevitably comes congestion. Yep, and 
displacement. Yes. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. As housing prices rise, mm-hmm. uh, many of the people who've been the bedrock of the community find yeah. themselves priced out. Right. How has Alston been affected and mm-hmm. how, how have you dealt with that? Well, you know, I really do believe in the market economy. I know that there are other dynamics in play. But I, at heart, though, I, I really think it's a supply problem. And uh, I know it creates more congestion, but that's why we need better transportation. Uh, and I've been working with the Boston Transportation Department, Mass DOT, obviously the mayor and the governor. Uh, I think it's on everybody's top of their radar screen that if we want to continue to grow, we need to make sure people have uh, efficient and and good experiences on our public transportation especially. So, you know, we have a a pilot going, uh, starting hopefully this spring or summer uh, on Brighton Avenue where they're going to have a dedicated bus lane. And that's just one thing that we're working on. You know, over the hundred or so years that I've been around here in the Boston area, I know it's probably, it probably feels like that to, to people yeah. who, who, who hear me and watch me. It hasn't been quite that long, but uh, I, the one thing that uh, has almost been a sort of a constant concern in the background has been gentrification. Sure. I mean, you've yep. got, mm-hmm. uh, certainly Alston and Brighton have some very elegant homes in them, mm-hmm. but they are mm-hmm. both communities that have, uh, in for many years, provided affordable right. housing, not mm-hmm. just to students, but to right. working people, uh, right. young families, immigrants, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, looking back over this 12-year span now, how has that changed? Do you feel like mm-hmm. we have a uh, proper coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. to moderate the impact of gentrification, or is that impossible? Well, we try by, and I'll just give a couple of examples just recently, or or not so recently, but in the coming months, um, the Brighton Marine Hospital is going to be opening to 100 units of veterans preference housing. Uh, Chestnut Hill Ave literally is probably going to be complete in about say, two months uh, for 60 elderly, disabled, chronically homeless people. So I think the city, and again, we we try the best we can. We've got this, this, the Community Preservation Act money now that we're using for affordable housing. One of the developers down in Alston on Antwerp Street uh, just got a million dollars to help fund deed-restricted home ownership, which I'm a big proponent of. Explain can, to people what that means, deed-restricted. So deed-restricted would be, you, you, it's based on your income. Uh, it could be 30% uh, medium area income all the way up to 120, right? And basically you 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 can't make more than 30% of the median average income, which is in Boston maybe $50,000 for a family of four. Uh, and and you would pay based on your income. Uh, and we have the greatest diversity in that kind of housing. We obviously have, we have BHA, we have other housing for elderly that are also deed restricted. So I know that we need to do more, but I think we're doing more than most at this point. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, developers, uh, in spite of these requirements that the city imposes, mm-hmm. developers still clamor to yeah. build in Alston, yeah. Brighton, That's and right. across the city. That's right. Uh, you know, of course, we don't want to kill the golden goose and drive investment right. away. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, are we getting 
as much as we can get out of the golden geese. So, uh, you know, and that's that's the the $64 million question, right? How how we're negotiating with developers, what's the sweet spot for them to make a decent profit without, you know, gouging? And what's the the requirement that helps us uh provide more and better and more affordable housing. And, you know, I've, I've talked to developers over the years and, you know, uh, density is always um, met with a, a lot of resistance from people in the neighborhood because of congestion. And I get that traffic congestion, parking issues. But um, I think the bottom line is uh, the density will help us provide more affordable housing too in those developments like Cambridge is doing 20%, but they're allowing more density too. Councillor, the uh, Mass DOT yes. wants to redirect the Mass Pike extension. Yes. Get rid of that curve. <laughs> yeah. Straighten it out. Yeah. Uh, they're proposing to open up basically a whole new area hard by Soldiers Field Road and the river, what are now the, the old was it, um, the trail yards, yes. the old CSX, exactly. was that right? right, right, right. Uh, and this would be the first major new neighborhood to emerge in the city since the seaport. A lot of critics of the seaport claim that an opportunity to create a, a mixed-income, mixed-class neighborhood was lost, and it's just a place for rich people and multimillion-dollar condos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they want to see those same mistakes avoided this time around. What's your understanding of the state of play? I know we're in a process of hearing right. community feedback about that. Right. And if you had your say, what would you like to see happen there? Well, one of the one of the major differences between the seaport and um, CSX and the rail yard. What's it called, by the way? It's Is called it? Beacon Rail Yards. Beacon Rail Yards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what about what about Keller Estates as we move <laughs> it forward? It has a good here. ring to it, John. It, it has a nice historical <laughs> ring. People are like, who the hell is that? Go ahead. I'm sorry. So Harvard is the owner, sole owner of almost 80 acres that will be unlocked. To your point, yeah. Uh, when the Mass Pike is straightened and that um, that rail line is removed, right? right? So it's kind of blocked by the Pike right now. Um, I think there's going to be some tremendous benefits out of that, working with the community. Some great ideas have come out of our community meetings where we're going to be able to widen the Paul Dudley path on the Char- by the Charles River to make it uh, a more pleasant experience, biking and, and, and walking and running right. along the river. Um, but the, the pike is in decrepit state it's you know it's needs to be reinforced so um once they do that um the fact that harvard is probably going to be go through more of a master planning type process like their alston campus is right. i think there'll be a lot more thought and um process into what actually goes there harvard absolutely uh has needs and probably goals that they want to achieve with this land but certainly they see it as an extension of the neighborhood as well uh so i, I see a lot of mixed use uh some new industry maybe um and and you know look forward to that exciting time well now that you you you've announced you're going to be moving on you can speak with total candor and bluntness 
that's here. Right. Has Harvard been a good partner for the city and specifically yeah. for the Alston neighborhood? Because right. every time I look at those pilot the yeah. payments in lieu yeah. of taxes, right. my blood starts to boil yeah. because Harvard and some other communities mm-hmm. don't pony right. up uh, right. what the city asks for uh, by comparison with some other institutions like BU, which right. do a better job. Right. Well, if you t- and, and you're right when it comes to uh, the pilot task force recommendation, right. which allows colleges and universities to pay a cash, a uh, half cash part of 25% of the value of right. their land, and uh, the other uh, 50% in right. community benefits. Right. Now, I will say, when I first came in, to just give it some context, uh, it wasn't long after they were kind of caught land banking, right? They land banked almost 300 acres, right? Mm-hmm. And then they were discovered uh, really in the probably mid-'90s, and... From then, uh, master plans were developed with the community. Uh, They became, uh, I would say, they came to the table uh, more earnestly. And I'll have to say, too, that when Drew Gilpin Faust came in as the president of Harvard, uh, basically the same time that I came in as a counselor, I think she... She created a whole new paradigm in, in working with the community. And I would just say that her influence and um, her partnership with the task force, because there's a task force that works directly uh, with, the un- with the university in public on any kind of building or initiative that they have. And then nego- uh, uh, community benefits are negotiated. So as someone who has been at the table with these folks and know the kind of community benefits. And I don't know if you're familiar with, like, the Ed Portal that mm-hmm. they built. Yeah, right around the corner right from around. us, yeah. Um, those kinds of community benefits, uh, they have a partnership fund, $2 million. They've started a housing fund. This would be interesting talk about housing, where they fund the, the Alston Brighton Community Development Corporation. They will go out and buy homes that are on the market and only sell them to owner-occupied and preferably families. That program, again, is funded through Harvard. So I've seen a paradigm shift before I came in, uh, they weren't at the table in the same way they are now. Now, how does that relate to the pilots? And I say, again, it's about balance, right? I would love to see Harvard pay their $2 million, But as I said to some of the advocates, when I'm at the table, I'm fighting for every dime that Harvard is, is giving to the city for this community because we're impacted by mm-hmm. them. Um, and some people, you know, again, it's a sweet spot, right? So I, I, I have a great partnership with Harvard. I think they've uh, to- totally turned um, the way they deal with our community in a much better way through Gilpin Faust, and, and I'm looking forward to a great relationship with uh, uh, President Bacow. Yeah. Bacow. Yeah, and he's a, re- yeah. he's a homegrown guy, too, yeah. you know? Yeah, wow. Final thing. You're on your way out the door here, so you don't care about controversy. Who's a, <laughs> who's a better mayor, Menino or Walsh? You know what? I think they're two totally different people and, and great in their own way. I think the mayor, Menino, when he came in, and I, and I feel like I've had a unique experience because I had six years with Menino and six with Marty Walsh. Um, Menino um, took community policing and 
the urban mechanic, obviously. And I, yeah. I remember you saying that many times. And I think that needed to happen. Just, you know, clean streets, potholes, infrastructure. I, I think he started that attention. And I think Marty, Marty Walsh has taken our city to a, just another level altogether. Um, it, we're a much more desirable city. Uh, I think that uh, we try to balance the, you know, the, the kind of development with the displacement. Where, you know, there's a lot of thoughtfulness and a lot of great homegrown talent throughout our city that the mayor, Mayor Walsh relies on. He's a great friend and, it, you know, he's just, a, a, you know, I'm proud that I had this, this time to, to work with him. Well, Councillor, I'm not going to name any names, but I can think of one former city councillor who, when he completed his tour of duty in the council, up and moved to Wellesley. Yes, yeah, right. We're not going to see you doing that, no, are we? No, no. Actually, my wife and I just bought a condo six months ago on Tremont Street in Oak Square, and we downsized because our kids are older now and out, uh, and I have a nice two-bedroom. One's a guest room, and I emphasize guests to my kids, uh, but they're always welcome. Uh, so, no, we're not going anywhere. I love this community. I was, you know, five generations of my family came here from Italy in the 1920s, raised families, lived here, worked here, and retired here, and I'm going to be the, one of the, those generations. City Councilor Mark Siomo, thanks for joining us here Thank in Studio so much, BC. Thank you so much, Good You're to have best. you. Thank Appreciate you. it. Each day, hundreds of thousands of people pour into the one square mile downtown, mile downtown Can art help transform a life or even a neighborhood? For 13 years now, an organization here in Boston has sought to help make that happen. Ubuntu Arts is a program at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development, and it matches mentors with young people to create art. And their annual exhibit is about to open. And joining us now is a whole bunch of people from Ubuntu Arts on the set with us here. We're so happy to have you all here. Thank you so much for coming in. This is Ann Toby. She is the director of Ubuntu Arts. She's a professor at BU's Wheelock College as well. Uh, Akita Hunter here, a student at Wheelock College. Uh, Neliana Medley, also a student at Wheelock College. And right there in the middle, Kiara Lara, who is an eighth grader at Boston Collegiate Charter School. And you're one of the students working on these projects. Thank you again all so much for coming in. We are really appreciate it. It's psyched to be here. And you brought some of the artwork with you. We'll yeah. get to all of that. But first, I want to ask you, Anne, mm -hmm. what does Ubuntu Arts do? What is it? What is this project? The project is part of a capstone course in youth justice and advocacy. It's a project-based learning experience where young people, our students, go out and work with groups in the community of um, youth and inspire them, facilitate the groups, and make collaborative artwork. And then we bring it over to Wheelock and the Town Art Gallery and exhibit it. And there's a, a reception where we can celebrate the, youth, the young people and their work and the messages that the young people want to share with viewers. And so often the art has a message, and, and that's one of the that's goals right. is to deliver a message with the art. We have one of the quilts here. Mm -hmm. This is something that, that some of the students made as an Ubuntu Arts project. That's correct. That was made at Charlestown High School in, uh, right after the earthquake in Haiti, and the group of youth at the school wanted to make something uh, that would help the people in Haiti recover from the horrible earthquake. And they created these um, two quilts, and we were able to sell them, and the proceeds went back to Haiti 
to a women's collaborative where the women used the money to send their kids back to school the next year. It's beautiful. And over here, stage left, uh, we actually have a piece of art of Desmond Tutu, of course, mm -hmm. the famous uh, South yep. African anti-apartheid leader. And you said that he came to BU in 2007. He helped inspire Ubuntu Arts. What's the story behind this? Right. Desmond Tutu was invited to receive an honorary degree, and he also led a youth symposium at that time. And when he came to campus, it's when we first learned about Ubuntu and what the word means, mm. which is, I am because you are. It's, um, it's an idea about our relationship to one another and who we are to each other. And Instead of I think, therefore I am, I am because we are. We're a community and, and that's what makes us strong. That's exactly right. Well, I love that idea. Neliana, I want to go to you. You are at Wheelock College. You are eventually going to become a, a, some, a youth justice advocate. Um, what have you gotten out of this project so far? Our overall goal wanted to be injustice. So for each individual youth, it's what does injustice look like to them in their community. So we have a range of topics from LGBTQ plus discrimination. We have gun violence. We have police brutality. We have a whole bunch of just topics. And the youth are really just expressing art through Canvas and mixed media to show what that injustice means to them, whether it be in their communities that they see at school or just different things to relate to injustice. But it's something that I learned so much from the kids. Mm. It's a really just nice way to have youth have their voice heard, and they're really excited to have someone actually listen to them and say, okay, wow, these are the things that are going on in my community, even though I'm 14, 15, some of them are even 13 years old, and to just have the opportunity to show this artwork to so many people is something that's so rewarding to them, and they're just so... They're just really excited. And what's it been like to see young people grappling with issues that are so serious, gun violence in their community or, or issues of, of women's rights? What must that be like to see that? Well, for these youth, they're in this reality, and it, it is their reality, so it's something that they're facing daily, and it's something that isn't really talked about, and youth don't really have the opportunity to speak on these issues when majority of these youth are in communities where this is happening. So for them, it's kind of a way to, it's almost like therapy in a sense, but it's a form of art therapy. It's a form of just being heard, a form of, okay, I am an individual that is smart, that's able to do this. I'm not just a kid who doesn't know much. So it's really gives them a chance to be heard in a sense. And I think that's one of the most empowering things that we can do for youth is to let their voices be heard because they are our future. So let them express themselves. Akita, you're also at Wheelock College, also want to be a youth justice advocate. You're working with Kiara. Can you tell us what you've been working on? Um, so at Boston Collegiate Charter, we actually have two different projects that we are working on. Um, we are working on a very ba um, Boston-based community aspect of Ubuntu, where we wanted to talk about how in Boston, there is this sense of community, but there's also this sense of forgetting that we are part of a community. So just bringing all together that we are Boston is one project that we have going on to talk about how this is our community altogether and how we need to acknowledge these things altogether. And on furthermore into our second project is talking about gun violence or violence against youth that's also happening in, um, in Boston as well, where Yes, we have these things going on. Yes, we are con connected community in some ways, but also with our community, we have these things going on. And unless we realize that I am because we are, then we're not going to realize that this person's going through this and this person's going through that. And we can make a change if, if as a community, we come together to do that. But unless we come together as a community, it's never going to, no change is ever going to come from that. Have you learned something from your students as you've been working with them? A lot of things. Um, 
I've learned just how each school is set up in a different way and invites different communities into their space, but they are all treated differently based off of these different um, educational systems that are within Boston. And the way that, yes, you might go to school down the street from me, but we have a completely different experience in our learning education, in our education, and also um, in our everyday living experience. Um, so I'm learning more and more about what's happening in Southie and what people are going through in Southie that I've never had the time to really involve myself in that particular community in Boston, while people are also talking about different things that are happening in other parts of Boston where it's like, oh, like some people have said that we talked about homelessness, we talked about all these different things that are affecting different people within the school, but no one really addresses it mm -hmm. because it's a just silent thing because we don't want to come up and make a realization of, oh, this is actually going on mm -hmm. around Boston. So there's a lot of different perspectives I've learned. <laughs> and Kiara, you are a student who has uh, Akita as a mentor and is working with Ubuntu Arts. You have your project that you've been working on here. Can you tell us about this? Um, so technically we've been making different projects. So there's two different types of projects we're making. We're making ones that are buildings of Boston, which are like the most top important buildings of Boston that make Boston what it is. Mm -hmm. And then we also have been making like urns because Technically, like, the youth violence is, like, out of control. Like, there's high numbers of, like, high youth deaths in, like, certain other cities of Boston. And it's, like, crazy how you think of, like, there's this one part where you think it's safe. And then there's another part where there's, like, the violence ranks are so high that it's like if you compare both of them, they're really different. Mm. And so you made, you're making urns in the class. Yeah. And that was to signify w the violence going on in the city. Yeah, so each urn is technically supposed to contain what urns contain, which are like ashes. So there's technically saying like, oh, there's a lot of urns that are being made. We should kind of like rewind that number and make it like not as much as being made. Mm -hmm. and, like have people be safer and like watch out who you like trust, I guess, because not everyone's like who they seem to be. When you see, when people come to the exhibit and they see the urns, what are you hoping they get from that? I hope that they get that like not everything is like safe, so the fact that kids like my age or like a year older than me or younger than me are like dying at really young ages for something that they didn't do, it's kind of shocking because it's like you're taking an innocent life away and they have nothing other to lose. Like they had a whole future ahead of them. Now they're like, well, it's come to an end. Mm. And what are you hoping is achieved through Ubuntu Arts? Um, we have a number of goals. Uh, one is my, my first goal is my students. Um, so helping them uh, appreciate and get an opportunity to implement the practice of positive youth development, which has become a more and more important practice. It's now uh, integral in Massachusetts and Department of Youth Services and DCF, you know, the state agencies are 
basing a lot more of their work on the positive youth development model. And so my students will be learning that. The young people who have an opportunity to work with the groups um, learn about Ubuntu and also have an opportunity to, to speak what is important to them, to consider the um, issues that are important to them, but they also have an opportunity to work in groups. They're, they make collaborative projects. They have to, to debate and discuss and come to decisions about what they want to make, what's important to them, and as a group, what they're going to make, and then, um, and then they have to make it. So there's a lot of real, uh, collaboration and working together to express themselves as, as a unit. Um, Which is perfect for... I am because we are. That's right. There you go. Fits right in. Eliana, Kiara, Akita, and thank you so much from Ubuntu Arts Project. I know the exhibit is April 8th to the 20th. It's mm -hmm. at the uh, Town Art Gallery at BU in Boston. Go check it out. Lots of art projects like this. It's going to be beautiful, wonderful. Good luck with it. Thank you so thank much for joining you. us. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. That's then is the way the WDB's Exceeding News Department works. These scooters, these e-scooters that have been banned in uh, Boston, Cambridge, and Somerville because they were just creating Havoc. scooters being left everywhere and people were getting injured and no one was really taking responsibility for them. They've been banned in those cities, but they were introduced this week in Brookline. And the, the city councilors say, look, I mean, we're in an era of, of climate change and we've got to cut down our carbon emissions. And this is a, an easy way for people to get from A to B. Mm. I think all of that is valid, but it should be pointed out, I believe this is true, that within 15 minutes, a woman had had an accident she fell. in Brookline. During the, during the demonstration for the media. During the demonstration yes. for the media, this woman taken. fell and had to be yeah. taken had a head injury. to medical care. We'll be fine. But, I mean, so what I, do we think? Well, luckily, first of all, Brookline is perfect for this because there's no congestion in Brookline, <laughs> no pedestrian traffic. You don't have a, a mix of, ta of tots and senior citizens. You can't read the sarcasm the on John's What face. could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I mean, look, uh, uh, this is – I'm sorry to, to browbeat you, uh, Liam, but – yeah. Uh, this is every bit as brilliant an idea as your your futuristic fantasy about us all riding around in driverless cars. Not a fantasy. Uh, a reality. It has not been thought through. It doesn't really acknowledge the human element, mm -hmm. uh, which is to say that, you know, you put Bostonians or Brookline-Tonians, whatever you call them, uh, on these scooters— uh, no one apparently wearing a helmet, by the way. Yeah. They, although the woman at the demonstration was. The lady speaking, I thank, noticed. Thank goodness. Okay. Because, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you're, just, you're begging for trouble. Yeah. And, you know, uh, yes, I acknowledge we need to cut carbon emissions. That's a great idea. We also need to contain health care costs. And flooding <laughs> right. local emergency rooms with a spate of head injuries is not the way to do you it. You do know it won't be long before we're doing a story on the 530 newscast about someone who quickly opened their car door without looking and someone on an e-scooter is going to be creamed. Yeah, we by have some statistics on this. In fact, they have had these e-scooters in LA and a new study out of Southern California uh, where this all originated is the first to take a look at the damage. We are quoting from City Lab here. Two UCLA hospitals in Los Angeles and Santa Monica 
say that electric scooters have been associated with 249 emergency room visits between September 1 of 2017 and the end of August 2018, so about a year's time. The list of reported injuries include dislocations, bone fractures, lung contusions, soft tissue injuries, and a splenic laceration. Uh, Only three e-scooter deaths have been reported. I would think only. uh, Well, I would think bicycles would probably be much higher than that. We we hear about bicycle deaths all the time. There are no bicyclists in LA. My issue is that when you when you own a bicycle, this is different. You know, you're going to wear a helmet. I think if you're going to deploy these across a city. There has to be some requirement, and I know it would make the fee more, and so fewer people would use it. I understand that, that there be some helmet attached to that scooter in mm. some way. I don't know if it's through a string that's attached to the handlebar so that it's you know not detachable from the, from the scooter itself. The other issue you have, and this is why Boston and Cambridge and Somerville banned them, they just get left everywhere. They're in the middle of the sidewalk. Well, someone pops up. They get to where they're going, and they just leave bicycles, them on the sidewalk. Right? Well, now, here comes the voice of experience. Hey, yeah. Bill Shields. Enter so WBZ's own <laughs> Bill Shields, who can absolutely weigh in on this journey. Okay, so Bill Shields, yeah, yeah join so, us. So, Bill, Brookline is now going to allow these scooters. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? You've seen them, right? <laughs> Good luck with that again. <laughs> I am predicting a catastrophe, I, widespread catastrophe. I can see, I, I don't know about the widespread, but I can see catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. no, no uh, way. I mean, it, those are... You think they're easy to ride, but if you tried, they have a little power. You got to actually think about it. It's not. I would absolutely break something immediately. Yeah, yeah, so would I. So would I. A risk. So I I think some people are going to love them and not touch their cars for months. And I think we'd have some broken bones. There you go. Unfortunately. Bingo. There you go. The voice of reason. The prediction. There it is. All right. You heard it here first. He walked in actually to tell us about the story that you're working on. Yeah. I love this story. You know, um, we have a lot of veterans out there that come back from Iraq and Afghanistan that are horribly wounded. And and they're they're debilitated to a degree that sometimes just being in their own home is difficult. Mm. You know, uh, let's say you're minus a hand. you got to turn faucets and what have you. You're minus a leg. Good luck getting upstairs easily. So this is... Uh, Remember the pro football player Jared Allen, big guy for the Vikings, yes, the Vikings. Kansas City mm-hmm. for a yeah, while. Defensive yeah. end, yeah. yeah, big guy. Ten years ago, he started this nonprofit, Jared Allen's uh, Home Foundation for Wounded Warriors. They go around building homes, and they built one for Paul Sturinka and his family down in Hanson, and it's beautiful. And Paul lost his left leg, most of it, and part of his left arm in Iraq in Seder City. And uh, this home is set up all on one floor. And it's beautiful. So it doesn't have to go up and down stairs. doesn't have to go up and down stairs, and it won't cost the family a penny. It's paid for through Jared Allen's foundation. And it's just, it just makes me feel good that, you know, people in this country still care, you know. And I think back to all the Vietnam vets. My brother was one who had to take off their uniforms and they came back home because mm. they didn't want anybody to know. Yeah. And, but now that we've, we've got 180 degrees, I think New Englanders are so giving. You know, mm. I, I really do. And, it, and I think it shows on a day like this when 100 people showed up to 
watch Paul and his family clip a ribbon and go into their house. Yeah. You know, because they just care. That's not our reputation, you know. I know it's not. Well, uh, if you drive not, around for a little while, you well, might you might not think that it's the case. <laughs> uh, yeah. When you get uh, to New England and, so and long. I grew up down south. No, it's not the reputation right. of New England. Is I know yeah. better now. But you know what? I uh, it, This is a sign of my age, I guess, but I tend to read the obits in the paper. Mm-hmm. And if you read them, John, are you 95? It can be very into, let's, don't start with me, you young punk. I picked bigger punks than you out of my you-know-what. I will interject, John. My father called them the Irish sports pages. The Irish sports pages. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. I'll tell you, it it may sound sound counterintuitive, but uh, sometimes reading the death notices can make you feel pretty good because they detail the extent of the charitable oh, yeah. work that people do in their lives. You know, this and just as an offshoot, you know what still gets me when I look at the obits, and I do too, I'm 67 now. I look at the obits to see, <laughs> am I in there? <laughs> do I know that yeah. guy? Oh, no. You know what still floors me? That breast cancer is still killing mm. women. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's one of those cancers, and we've had it touch our family through friends, and it's one of those cancers that I think, can't you get a hold of this? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's so prevalent yeah. that, gosh. There's I just, so many different kinds, I think, and it's such a complex the system mutations. there. And I think we're going to have BCRF, the Breast Cancer Research we are. Foundation, this on This is the soon. 25th anniversary of the Breast Cancer yeah, Research Foundation, yeah. and, and they're, they have made incredible progress. Actually, one of the things that they're really working oh, they've done on tremendous now, which is incredible, yeah. is the liquid biopsy mm-hmm. that they'll, instead of actually mm-hmm. – having to do surgery, they'll be able to tell from blood work what kind of genetic mutation or what kind of breast cancer someone has. So that money has really, it's gone a long way. So Bill, your story on the house uh, will be online. Yeah, it, uh, it airs at mm-hmm. 5.30 today. Right. And then so it'll be online right after We're recording that. on Tuesday. The podcast right. drops on Wednesday, but yeah. people should go to cbsboston.com. Yeah, look at the story. You, at you know, yeah. you, you might want to, if you want, <coughs> donate a few bucks to Jared Allen's mm-hmm. Wounded Warriors. Uh, they're based in Phoenix. Well, technically Scottsdale, if you like golf. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they're based out there. In fact, That's he was great. funny. There. Here's this big six foot six former football player. With a puffy jacket on, he kept complaining about how cold it was. I'm, stand, <laughs> I'm standing there in my little suit going, really? He lived in Minnesota for years. I don't know. What he played for the Vikings. Uh, that, let me just, because we never have you here in the studio, and you are Bill Shields, the famous Bill Shields. <laughs> before we let you go, so, before we end the podcast. Another the word for old guy. <laughs> Uh, within the limits of what's appropriate for the podcast and for air, can you tell us best story, best story that you have from working in the field that you love to Over tell. your years. So no, the stewardesses are out. <laughs> <laughs> the flight attendant one is out, and the combat zone story the is out. The I did some good combat zone stories. The weekends at the Cape are out. I, yeah. I, I went to the show. Yeah. I, got, I got some combat zone stories for you. <laughs> my favorite all-time story, Yeah. my favorite story that I got assigned to, and I couldn't believe that I got assigned to this. Remember Danny Murata, our photographer? Yes, sure. a Vietnam veteran. Vietnam veteran. Danny was a scuba diver. And he comes to me one day. He says, hey, you know how many shipwrecks are out in the water off of Cape Cod? And I said, no, how many? It was about 220. And I go, okay. Why don't we do a story on all the shipwrecks? And while we're at it, there's a lot off of Key West. <laughs> I said, really? Now I'm interested. We got sent to Key West for a week. No. To dive with Mel Fisher's group 
off the Marquesas Keys, and I was being I was on the clock, and we Those rented a five hundred dollar a day underwater neutral buoyancy camera that would go <laughs> where you took it, and we were there when they actually found the Santa Maria de Atocha, the mother load, and it was it was just outrageous. I mean, we we were there for a week getting paid. Let me get to this dive, straight: to dive, you and Danny Murata. We're in Key West for a week with your evenings free. And that's what Danny drank. <laughs> Whoa. There's a movie there, Hollywood. Oh, man, is interesting there Interesting thing about Danny Murata having his scuba uh, gear and He's, the ability to uh, shoot video underwater. He shot the video. Remember, he, he was submerged when the big dig, huge tubes were linked right. together. When they did mm. that work underwater, he went down and really? shot Dan, that. Danny, wow. Danny is fearless. And let me give you, the, on the last day we in Key West, we're sitting at our resort, and I <laughs> literally said, what else do we need? I said, and he goes, I don't know. What do we need? An aerial. And so I picked up the phone and I called a helicopter company. Uh, too expensive. I called a fixed wing company. Too expensive. We're sitting there looking out and there's a paraglider. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Being pulled by a boat. <laughs> and Danny goes, I'll get you your aerial. <laughs> oh he was able my. to bring the, the, the cameras are heavy in those And days. it was a two-piece camera. Had a recorder oh, wow. and a camera. Danny went up on the parasail. And as it turns out, it was the first shot in a five-part series about underwater treasure hunters. Wow. But you know what, Danny? You know where Danny is right now, right <laughs> as we speak? Hawaii. Hawaii, shooting <laughs> underwater pictures. He sent me a picture of a whale that swam up under him. Is he getting paid to do it? He's no, so no, talented. No. This is just fun. This is fun. He He's, said, you know. Wow. Call me anytime, right, so, kid. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> it sounds like we should have like a, a a regular Bill Shields comes on and gives us a story yes. segment. A story. By the way, oh, your, your Danny Murata quotes were not exactly. <laughs> no, uh, I left out a few F bombs. I was going to say he went light on the F bombs. We should say the F bomb that Danny pronounces as. F E C K I N. Right, right. We'll have to have this legendary Dan Murata into the studio at some point. It, 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 there are so I'd many love great some, stories. I'd love to see him. someone say, hey, you should I listen to the podcast. I don't think the internet I, could, could accommodate There's not enough bandwidth. You think okay. I have stories. But I always consider it one of my the best compliments I've ever been given that after I had been here like two weeks and someone said to him, you know, hey, how is she? How's the new, you know, reporter? He said, oh, Paula, she, you know, she's a nice broad. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, now, now that is a compliment. There you go. Well, Danny's, Danny's the throwback, <laughs> you know, and he's never going to change and who would want him to? No. You know, but you know what I've always said about Danny? And we were in some pretty tight situations here and there, you know, in nasty situations. No one would I rather have at my back, mm. watch at my back, than Danny. Mm. And Great there were guy. times when we literally had our backs to each other. You watch that way, I'm watching these guys over here. Yeah. And, it, you know, it was, he's that type of guy. If it was John, I would be the last person he would want at his back. 
true. Not true. <laughs> if we hey. were attacked, I'd throw you to them <laughs> and book out of there. Use you as a human shield. <laughs> so take him. All right, Bill All right. Shields. Will you thank do this you. again. I'm gonna go back. Yeah. To, uh, I got to edit this yeah, story. Yeah, go back to Bill. Thank you, thank you, Bill. I enjoyed that. And we must say goodbye now. Yes, we must. We covered all manner of sins. We have so many great people at WBZ who can come in yeah. and tell stories. And like lots got to have some of them in. It's fantastic. Yeah, and lots going on next week as well. Yeah, so, uh, of course, we're available everywhere you listen to podcasts. You know that already. So tell your friends, give us a rating and review, subscribe and share to at Studio BZ Pod on Twitter. And, and you speaking are, of Twitter. I'm at Paula Ebbett WBZ. I am at Liam WBZ. And I'm at Keller at Large. And we'll, we'll be, be seeing, seeing you. Wow, real-time podcast. Yeah. Oh, Shields is the best. That was good. So good. You know, it was perfect timing because we were done with the scooters. Yeah.